Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Bless beyond measure. Make sure to say that off the top every single night. Bless beyond measure, all reasonable and otherwise. Hope you recognize that you are as well. Hope this finds you and yours as blessed as you can possibly be and certainly recognizing all of those blessings. And if that's something new to you, if that's something you want to talk about further, my DMs always wide open at Jmart Zone to have that conversation. We'll talk about the Warriors, and I'm going to congratulate them on winning the NBA championship. I know it hasn't happened yet, but uh, I'm on record. I was already on record, but it's gotten even more so. So we'll talk about that. I've got some other things sort of on my mind tonight as well. We'll do some pop culture later on in this show. Pretty cool stat about Michigan hiring Jawan Howard and what that means uh, in terms of D1 programs. We'll do that in the final segment as well. But because this information came out a little bit earlier today, and I've had a couple of people ask me this over the past few weeks, and certainly... I have no way of knowing until it's out. What would the economic impact be for the NFL draft in Nashville? Well, the numbers are now out. Announced by the NFL and the Nashville Convention and Visitors Corp. These are huge. I don't know if it's going to come as a gigantic surprise to anyone that watched what took place between the 25th and the 27th of last month. And how many people were here. But I'm just going to drop a bunch of numbers on you. I'm going to give you everything that I got from the various reports. And certainly from my good pal Jim Wyatt at TitansOnline.com. And what he put together as well. But here is what was released. $133 million in direct visitor spending. Which is a 79% increase from last year in Dallas. A total economic impact of that three-day span of $224 million. And the visitor spending went 32% to lodging, 21.5% to recreation, 17.7% to food and beverage, 162 to retail, 129 to transportation, 51% of people that came from out of town stayed in hotels, 21% Airbnbs and, and things of that nature, home rentals. And 16.6 stayed with friends and family. 54% of the people at the draft were from out of town. They stayed just under three nights. And they are right around three people. So they brought a child if it was a husband and wife. Or perhaps it was a uh, one parent and a couple of kids. 600,000 people were here. 200,000 was the previous high for an NFL draft. 47.5 million people watched it on television. Just to give you clarification, and, and I really appreciate Jim Wyatt doing this in particular because you always want to contextualize. Okay, $133 million in direct visitor spending. That is an awful lot of money. How does that compare to a few other things? Well, one of the questions I was asked directly a few weeks ago was, do you think this is bigger than the CMA Fest? Well, last year's CMA Festival in totality, $61.2 million in direct visitor spending. So it's over twice as much as CMA Fest was in its entirety last year. The July 4th celebration here in Nashville did $10.8 million. So obviously dwarfing that by over $120 million in direct spending. $10.6 million alone just in taxes and fees for Davidson County. So just in taxes, it was just 0.2 off of 
the July 4th celebration. 46% were local. Like I said, 54% were visitors. 3.2 people visitor size that stayed 2.8 nights. 16% brought kids. 75% attended multiple days. And that's visitors stayed multiple days. 50% of locals. Yeah, if you live here, it's not maybe quite as exciting to go. You go once and then you've kind of gotten your fill of it. But 81% of visitors surveyed during this time frame cited the draft as the reason why they visited Nashville. And 97% said they would recommend the event in the future. The NFL, no question, is paying attention to that. It was also, this is kind of incredible too, because you think of all the huge events that Nashville has from a pop culture perspective and an entertainment perspective. As to hotel performance, again from from Jim Wyatt at TitansOnline.com, April 2019 was a strong month for the city. It was the third best month ever in Nashville's history in the number of hotel rooms sold. I told you that there is no bigger name in pop culture than the National Football League. It is your Michael Jackson, your Justin Timberlake, your Beyonce, your Jay-Z, your Ariana Grande, your Kendrick Lamar, your Childish Gambino, whatever it is. It's all of that rolled into one. It unites the country. The Super Bowl is basically a holiday. A lot of people take the next day off of work. There is speculation that maybe you move President's Day to the day after the Super Bowl every year so that it it can be just a holiday, but find a way where it makes sense where you're not really taking it off for football, even though you obviously could. So it was a huge boom to Nashville. And so the NFL also announced today, 2021, the draft will be in Cleveland, Ohio. That's not Nashville, but I mean, it's not like we expected them to come back They'll be back, but they're not going to be back that soon. But it's more like Cleveland's probably not going to do 600,000 people. I don't know how many people are going to Cleveland. I don't know a whole lot about Cleveland as a city. I've been there. There's nothing wrong with it, but it doesn't have Nashville's aesthetics. And then in 2023, they'll be going to Kansas City. And that'll probably be a pretty cool atmosphere, even though, again, I said that other than Vegas, really nobody has what Nashville does in terms of what it can offer because of Broadway And because of so many really big things packed into one where you can close off a lengthy street the way that they did, construct a couple of buildings, take over some bars, and then there's a stadium across that water. Everything's beautiful. Everything's perfect. You've got those bridges. You've got everything that you could possibly want. And aesthetically, I don't know that you will ever eclipse it. Vegas is the one that I'm curious about in terms of how it's going to set up and what it's going to look like with all the neon and, and where exactly it's going to be in relation to the strip and all of that. But those are unique. Nashville and Las Vegas are both unique. But if you want to talk about the NFL and why a lot of teams and cities are now going to be clamoring to get it, I mean, $133 million in direct spending? Again, last year's CMA Fest was 61.2 in visitor spending. This thing doubled it, plus some. And the CMA Fest does incredible economic impact year in and year out. And brings people from across the country, across the world. People love that event. It's so well done. And the draft just took it to the house, basically. Marshawn Lynch ran through a face. This is terrestrial radio, so I can't quote it. I wouldn't quote it anyway. But he ran through a face. The NFL is always going to do that. And that is exceptional news for the city of Nashville. And it's a credit to 
Amy Adams Strunk and to the Tennessee Titans organization and to Nashville for making it happen and for getting it here as fast as they did. But it's very obvious that a whole lot of people made a whole lot of money in their industries. And again, you think about 30, 32.1% lodging hotels. They are still trying to build. I think you need 20,000 hotel rooms for the Super Bowl. That's like a minimum number that the NFL is looking for. And I think Nashville is somewhere around a third or maybe a little bit higher than a third on the way there, which is kind of incredible because every day I look at another hotel being put up and another lane being closed somewhere that I can't then drive on that's going to add to my commute time. But there's still a lot that needs to be done from that perspective. But they made a ton of money. Recreation, that means museums, attractions, that means the Ryman or the War Memorial or uh, anything like that. 21.5% visitor spending. So when you're in Nashville, there are a lot of tourist things to do that we take for granted sometimes. And that's sort of interesting because when you live in a city like Nashville, I don't know that you really appreciate why it's cool to come here. When I have friends or something like that that come up here and they you know, hang for a couple of days or whatever like that, they always want to go see a bunch of stuff and you forget how much stuff there is to see that they might know about that you've already seen a hundred times or that you've just driven past because it's just part of your day. Nashville is a touristy area to say the least and it becomes more so every single day. So there was many things for these people to do outside of just the draft, which I think encourages why it's a 97%. I would recommend this in the future. I don't think it's just because the NFL draft was so much fun and so well done and there weren't a whole lot of arrests and, you know, fire and safety and rescue and police did such a fabulous job. I also think that there's so much else to do surrounding it. That was, you know, we joked or I joked and told you that story about how when the Indiana Pacers in like the 80s and 90s, media people would call it Nap City. Because what they would do when they went to town before the game is they would nap in their hotels because it was Indianapolis and there was nothing else to do there. Nashville is not nap city. There's stuff to do here all over the place. So that encourages these things. Food and beverage, of course. I mean, if you're here, you're going to spend money on food. Retail, I don't know exactly what that includes. I'm sure that includes a lot of souvenirs and things of that nature. And props to the NFL, by the way, for getting this right. And for telling Hatch Show Print, you can sell the NFL draft posters that everybody wanted. So now they've announced a limited run and they're taking pre-orders on their website. That did not take long for me to jump on board because I know that they will not be around for very long. But the NFL, that's something they should have had while the draft was going on. I can't even imagine how much money Hatch Show would have made if they had been able to sell those wild 600,000 people were in this city for the NFL draft. But at least they got it right after the fact. Because those things are nice, and they're going to be one of a kind, and they're going to be the kinds of things that fans and anybody that attended the draft are going to want just as some kind of a memento that's team-specific for their particular franchise of choice, their team of choice, as to the experience that they had here. And it being the third best month ever in the history of hotel rooms sold in Nashville can't be understated either. You have to start thinking about renovating Nissan and making sure that or doing a new stadium entirely and making sure that thing's got a roof and building hotel rooms and pushing hard because World Cups and WrestleManias and college football playoff national championship games and Super Bowls and all of those things, those have to be on the docket going forward. So you need to find out what the minimum specs are and then you need to exceed them. 
to go nerd on you for a little while back in the day when I actually cared about such things. When you would get a, you would always hear about wonderful PC games. Like PC games look so much better than console games, and so you would start to look at whatever it was, Diablo or whatever game it was that was coming out, and you would look at the back of the box and you would see minimum specifications. And so you would stare at that for a while and you'd see, okay, well, maybe I need a new graphics card. I can go this one and it should be able to play it decently. And so you would set it up and then that thing would lag and it would hesitate and it would be just infuriating to try and play because really to play the game the way that you're supposed to play, it's going to cost you about $3,000. So that is kind of what you're trying to do now is you don't want it to be minimum. You want to exceed every specification that you can. I don't know how exactly you do it, but there are so many opportunities, I think, to get there within the next 10 years, potentially. I don't see this as being a short-term deal, but I know knowing how Nashville's Visitors Bureau works and how hard the Nashville Sports Council works that they are already trying to figure out the best way to get there. I would suggest one way is not concentrating on baseball, but that's just me. I still think that's a mistake, especially if it's going to fall on the taxpayers. I don't think that that's a good idea whatsoever. Let me tell you what else is not a good idea. Picking against the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals. Give me a call, 737-1045, or tweet me at jmartzone. We'll be back in a moment here on the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. Big Six brought to you by Renner's Warehouse. Dedicated to putting homeowners on a path to financial freedom through rent estate. Renting your home without having to do the hard stuff. Renner's Warehouse, the rent estate company. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. 737-1045 if you want to join the program. I said I was going to talk about the Warriors. I might bump that to next segment. So Jeffrey Simmons signed today. You probably already knew that. Spotrack contract projection for the D-lineman. Total value, 12.6 mil, closer to 12 point. Well, not really. I was looking at it. Was, I was about to do math on the air and try to round something up. No, 12.6 mil, 7.2 signing bonus for Jeffrey Simmons. That makes four of six that they've inked. Imani Hooker, DeAndre Walker, David Long, they all have their deals. Simmons not going to take part in OTAs. No shock, of course, due to the ACL injury from February. He has said all the right things. Seems like he's a really rootable guy. I know he made a mistake. We have... Certainly gone into that, but there's also nuance behind the mistake, and he has certainly not tried to run from it. He's owned it. It's part of his story, but it's not the end of his story. But I want to talk about something else, and that's the pipe dream of Gerald McCoy ending up here. Because this is one of those moments, folks, where if somebody says, no offense, and your ears should immediately perk up because somebody's about to get offended in some way. What that really is, is it's, it's a, I'm going to soften the blow before I offend you kind of caveat. So no offense, but the Titans ain't getting Gerald McCoy. Should that be something that you are hoping for? I hate to be the bearer of bad news here, but it, it didn't really take me too long to get to this conclusion. And it's not about money because the Titans have enough. It's not about history either because John Robinson Knows McCoy well from his time in Tampa Bay. It's not even about fit all that much. Now, the three technique with Jarrell Casey, it's not the most perfect match, but they could make it work. You would make it work for a Gerald McCoy, even though he's kind of past his prime at 31, but he's a huge character guy. He is somebody that knows how 
to play the position, he has improved. And even though maybe he's on the backside of his career, he could definitely help this team. But when I, the reason I haven't talked about it to this point since it came out is because the initial reports about McCoy, there were a couple of quotes or a couple of things that he said, according to Schefter and others, that basically just made me say, okay, well, this ain't going to happen. And it doesn't take very long to get there. McCoy is not interested in being part of a rebuild at 31 years old, meaning kind of why there was a mutual, okay, get me out of Tampa Bay. And they were ready to move on, and they were going to pay in Dominican Sue so he can show up half of the season. But he doesn't want to be part of a rebuild. He doesn't want to be part of a team that's not particularly close to winning a championship. Instead, he wants to be with a contender now at the chance to get to the postseason, a chance to get to the Super Bowl. Well, there goes that. Because I am certainly intrigued to see what's going to happen with the Titans this season. I want to see what Humphreys is going to do, what AJ is going to do, what Saffold's going to do, all of that. But I'm here to tell you, this team is not going to win the AFC South. At best, it's competing for a wild card, just like last year at the tail end of the season, when there's going to be, I think, three of the last four division games, two of them against a team that will be competing right alongside. And you've got not one, but two quarterbacks with no history with which to trust at this point. If Mariota stays healthy the entire season, okay. But this is sort of his make-it-or-break-it year. The Titans want him to be the guy. I've said he's not the guy because we're still asking the question. But you've got other teams that want this dude. The Browns, that came out today. There's mutual interest there. The Browns are one of the more intriguing offseason teams, to say the least, with the acquisitions that they've made. In division, the Colts want him. They have a ton of money. And they're on the precipice of being one of the two or three best teams in the AFC, especially with everything that we're seeing from Chris Ballard, who may be the best executive in football right now. The Patriots are interested. The Cowboys are interested. The Chargers are interested. The Steelers have even been mentioned. And just a little while ago, I saw Buck Rising of A to Z Sports tweet this out from Greg Allman. He's talking about the Saints and how outside of Tampa Bay, he loved playing in the Superdome. He liked going there. He loved the energy there. It's a great place to play, da-da-da. Well, the Saints are also a contender. So I just named a bunch of situations where he could go in and be a contender for a Super Bowl. The Titans are not a part of a Super Bowl conversation. To think that Gerald McCoy is going to end up in the Music City is, is a pipe dream. That's how I let off the segment. I don't even know how interested Tennessee is. I imagine they are. But to me, this feels like playing the old school like PS2 NCAA football and going through dynasty mode, putting all those five-star dudes on your recruiting board while coaching somewhere like UTEP. And then no matter how many points you put in, no matter how much of your allotment that you use, how much time you spend of your 15 or 30 hours or whatever it is weekly on that game that you were able to use, that guy is not coming to play for the minors. That dude's still going to end up going to Clemson or Alabama or Ohio State or Oklahoma or USC, or some national power. And I say that as somebody that used to coach the lowest team that I could find on that game year in and year out and build them up. But what you would end up doing is you'd eventually get a three-star, then you get a four-star, then you might start to get it to roll downhill. But you couldn't start out by going for the top ten prospects. You had to try to get guys that were close to home. Maybe you could find a four-star guy that lived 30 miles from campus and you could talk him into going. But in this case... 
Gerald McCoy, who is a good guy, who I think has a really good relationship with John Robinson, this just ain't the fit because he wants to go to a contender. And back to the Jeffrey Simmons part of this. I asked Brad Hopkins this when I was in on the wake-up zone on Friday. Incidentally, I'll be in on Tuesday and Wednesday of next week as well. And he sort of, he gave me a little bit more to think about. But I said, look, if you're going to use the 19th pick on Jeffrey Simmons, who I really want to love, and I'm going to give every chance in the world to love, and has said everything right about how he's not going to let the organization down and just how thankful he is that the Titans would take a pick on him this high, especially a female owner, considering the mistake he made in his past. But you took a guy with an ACL injury that's probably not going to help you this year, right? Like, if he comes back at the end of the season, what's he going to have left? Because he's not going to have been able to really practice and get on the field and be part of things. I'm sure he'll be studying and learning the game, but you can't simulate game speed that late. So you can't anticipate anything but that this guy is a second-year dude. This is a dude for the future, not for the present. If you're drafting for the future, that means you don't believe that your present is going to be that close to the Super Bowl. To me, that's that's my conclusion. If you draft a guy that can't help you this year, then you're not just one piece away from a Super Bowl. Because if you are, you find that piece by hell or high water, and you go for broke because you never know how long a window is going to be. That tells me the Titans don't believe they are that close to winning a Super Bowl. They are in a really tough division. Jacksonville should be a little better, maybe not a lot better, but a little better with Nick Foles. And I imagine maybe the defense will be a little bit more cohesive. They still have plenty of holes. The Colts already discussed how good they are. If they were to get Gerald McCoy, that just adds to it. And then Houston, if Deshaun Watson can stay upright, I mean, between him and Hopkins... And what they have down there, they should be in the mix as well. I'm not saying the Titans are about to win six games. I'm saying I don't, I'm not giving you a win projection at this point. But the schedule isn't grand easy, even though you get the two best quarterbacks you're probably going to play all year in your building. But when you think about the other teams that I mentioned that McCoy wants or that, he, or that want him, and his major thing is not finances at this point, it is simply wanting to be with a contender towards the end of his career that he can help win a championship. When those teams include the Browns, the Colts, the Steelers, the Patriots, the Cowboys, the Chargers, and the Saints, he ain't coming to Tennessee, folks. That just flat out is not going to happen. And I'm going to use the same tease that I used at the end of the first segment. And I see John's on hold. John, hold on. We'll get your phone call when we come back. 737-1045. Tell me I'm wrong about this or anything else if you'd like to. But another thing that is not going to happen is the Golden State Warriors not winning the championship. I'll lay out that case. I saw all I needed to know last night and in the game previous in the Eastern Conference Finals. The Warriors already knew enough, but I now know enough about the other guys to know ain't nobody beating Golden State whether Kevin Durant plays another minute in a Golden State uniform or not. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back to the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone on a Wednesday here in the Music City. Scorching one, but it's only going to get hotter over the next few days. We have arrived, folks. We're going to start to get tired of the sun at some point, or at least I am. I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can follow me there. 737-1045. 
talk to the gatekeeper, Ryan Mudd. If it's okay, then he will open up and you will see me standing there like Tormund for John Snow in the north. Let's go to John in Columbia. He leads us off tonight here on the Big Six. John, what's up? Um, yes, this is going back to the um, Nashville Super Bowl talk. Sure. If um, Nashville does elect to build a new stadium, where would it be? I know Vanderbilt, you know, tossed around building a stadium at the fairgrounds, which is almost laughable. Um, so I guess if they do elect to build a new stadium, what needs to be in the stadium? Or if they decide to renovate Nissan Stadium, what needs to be in there in your opinion? Okay. Well, I mean, the thing about it is when you walk around Nissan Stadium, it's not like the thing's falling apart. But you look at the state-of-the-art stuff that's around the country. One, you need a retractable roof. That's sort of the biggest thing is they're not going to go through this whole deal that they had to deal with when Peyton Manning played against Rex Grossman years ago. That's sort of a given at this point. And that's also a thing that you want. Now, WWE still does stuff outdoors. They did it in New York and dodged a rainstorm this past year. I guess I should say New Jersey at MetLife. They called it New York, but it was actually New Jersey. But, I mean, you need... There's just some modifications. In terms of where it's going to be, yeah, Fairgrounds sounds insane. I don't know the answer to those questions yet. And I think that that's something that we can certainly discuss on this program. Maybe take calls on it as well as people deal with that. And that's just the whole deal about the baseball stadium, too. It's like, is it going to be in Williamson County? Is that where it's going to be? Or is it going to be down around everything else? There is only a certain amount of space to be had. And then it's got to be proper, and it's got to be... It's got to be... Uh, you've got to be able to get there as well. The, remember one thing about the old Brave Stadium at at Turner Field before they opened SunTrust was it was a disaster trying to get to Turner Field. That makes the experience of the Braves so much better just because it's accessible. And with road construction and with just sort of the way things are going, you have to be real cautious about where you put it from that perspective as well. But the roof is sort of the biggest thing if you're going to renovate. I don't know if that's the idea or if you would just scrap it and try to do it again. I mean, it's, it's an expensive project to say the least, and it's not one that can be done overnight. That's why I'm saying 10 years from now, maybe we'll be having the discussion about what is on the way to Nashville, or maybe something has been here by then, but it's not something that's going to happen today, to be sure. 737-1045, you want to join us to see somebody calling in now. The Warriors are going to win their fourth title in five years. I'm just here to tell you that. I said on Monday on this show it was absurd and preposterous. And what I mean is these takes in media about... How without Kevin Durant, the Warriors have no chance to win the NBA championship this year. Just like it was preposterous that they couldn't be Houston without Kevin Durant at the end of that series. Just like it was preposterous that without Durant, Portland really had a good chance to beat him. I don't know how many of these people have actually watched this team for the past half decade. Five straight finals. Maybe not quite the mid-50s Celtics, but that was a league that had a total number of teams in the single digits. This is a 30-team league. Not quite LeBron's eight straight finals, but he did that entirely in a lowly Eastern Conference. KD's been on three of the five, technically two, as he's not on the floor right now. We'll see if he's there by the time we get to the finals, which starts a week from tomorrow, regardless of when Milwaukee and Toronto ends. The biggest problem for Portland was that they could not close. They were up 17, they were up 18, they were up 17. They lost all those games. And the reason why is because they've never been there before. When they got the lead, Golden State knew they could come back. 
And more importantly, the Trailblazers knew Golden State were going to make a run. And so they just sat back waiting for it. It would hit in the second half, and then they get TKO'd by it game after game after game. And this was my entire point before the postseason began. The teams that would be standing late would have experience of a positive variety. That doesn't include the Rockets. Playoff failures, mainly due to the boogeyman and Oracle. Nuggets had no experience. Sixers were young and had no experience. They weren't deep enough as well. The list goes on and on. The Warriors, though, they have Steph Curry. They have Klay Thompson. They have Draymond Green. They've got Andre Iguodala. They've got Steve Kerr on the sidelines. Even bench guys wearing Warriors jerseys have rings. That's without me even mentioning Kevin Durant. So who is it that I'm really going to trust in a seven-game series? The Bucks, the Raptors, or the Golden State Warriors? Well, you're going to give me Golden State especially with Toronto and Milwaukee right now beating each other down physically in a very rough series. You see Kawhi Leonard out there last night and in the game previous. He's given it all he's got, but he's deteriorating right now before our very eyes. I don't mean forever. I mean this season. He needs extended rest. He looks like he's got a blood pressure cuff on his knee on the sidelines. He is beat down. He doesn't need 48 hours worth of rest. He needs real rest. He almost looks like he needs a cane out there every time he lands off of a jump. He runs like he's 50. He's still fantastic. It's unbelievable to watch what he's doing. But I look at Golden State, and I'm like, man, the Warriors are going to mutilate the Raptors with him in this condition. And then on the flip side, there's Giannis, who even though he's probably going to win the MVP award on June 24th when they give those out, he's still a developing player, and that sounds nuts. But he's got real issues in his game, and they are starting to show themselves more and more. He's a really streaky free throw shooter and not a particularly good one. He's airballed a free throw in two consecutive games, which takes real effort to pull off on the NBA level. He's not good from distance. He's really not even good from 15 feet out. What he can do is run like a deer. No pun intended, but sure, pun intended for the Bucks. He can run like the wind. He makes great moves. And he gets to the rim. But he works so hard for his points. I'm waiting to see him start to wear down as well. Milwaukee, it's all about that bench. It's all about those other guys making shots when they get opportunities off of his dishes or off of transition. So then it comes down again. Who do I trust to make more shots? The Milwaukee Bucks or the Golden State Warriors? That answer is obvious. It's Golden State and it's not even close. Giannis out here makes 10 buckets, he scores 20. Maybe he adds three or four from the free throw line out of seven or eight attempts. But the Warriors are going to outshoot Milwaukee from three, even though they're barely even in the top 10 and attempted shots from beyond the arc. The Warriors have dudes that have been there before and have made clutch shots in moments where they've been there before. They know how to win, and they're not going to fear when they get down by 20. There's that stat I want to say that in the Kerr era, The Warriors have been down 15 points or more like 16 times, and they've won like 14 of those games. I'll find that stat during the break. It's absurd. But they're going to win again. Whoever they get is going to be beaten down and have just gone through a really rough series. And so you're going to hear, oh, well, the Warriors are going to be a little rusty because they haven't played in a while because they dispatched the Blazers so quickly. We'll see if Durant's back, but even if he's not, I think they're going to win without him. I definitely think they'll win with him, but they're going to win without him because that's what they do. They win these kinds of things. Cameron, hang on holds. 737-1045. 
to join us. I've got other things that I want to talk about in the final segment. I'll probably push a few of them to, to, to tomorrow, but in case you didn't know this, Drake, Drake is really obnoxious. Like, I don't hate him, but I kind of hate him. You know, like watching his act last night. It's time for the NBA to step in. I don't know why this guy gets the free roam that he does, but this act has gotten real tired, Drake. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Segment of the program, Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. A little Dawes for you right on time. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to helping homeowners benefit from the rental boom by renting their homes the easy way. Renters Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. Global Golf Radio, Barney Allery, up next. I guess he's probably going to talk a lot about Brooks Kepka. Can't imagine why. I'm going to talk a little bit of it. Not a lot, but a little bit about Drake. I don't want to talk about his music. I don't want to talk about the emo nature of some of his early stuff in particular. I don't want to talk about the fact that I really enjoyed his third album a lot and played a ton of it. And I don't really hate the guy, but he's trying to make me because last night, I don't know if you saw this. He's next to the Toronto bench. Of course, he's a Toronto guy. Did you know he actually has an office in the Raptors like area where all of their executives are? Drake has his own office. I don't know what his title is. I don't know if he's ever been to that office. I don't know if he's ever seen that office. But he had one last year. I know that for a fact. So he's down there, and Giannis Antetokounmpo is not having a particularly good night from the line. He airballs one. He's short on him. And so Drake is trolling him. And he's laughing, and he's taunting him, and he's chanting at him. And he's on the floor because he's courtside. Drake doesn't play for the Raptors. He doesn't have a jersey. Well, he probably does have a jersey. But he doesn't have a jersey in which he can actually get into the game. Nick Nurse can't put him into the game. But he's roaming the sidelines. At one point, you actually see him massage Nick Nurse's shoulders. I mean, it's nuts. And so, Giannis didn't really say too much about it. Like It may have bothered him. But his former agent, who works for Octagon, which is a global agency... This is what he tweeted. Now, he's deleted this tweet since, but he tweeted, Imagine a gig and an athlete on VIP seats right next to the band. Stands up on the stage just to show off during the game, knowing cameras are on him. Occasionally even massaging the singer. Security shouldn't allow it. Never seen anything as disrespectful as this before. That from Giannis's former agent. And now his current coach, Mike Budenholzer. I don't know of any person attending the game that isn't a player or coach that has access to the court. I don't know how much he's on the court. It sounds like you guys are saying a lot. There's certainly no place for fans or whatever exactly is what Drake is for the Raptors on the court. There's boundaries and lines for a reason. The league is pretty good about that. Now, you've seen people courtside at Lakers games that throw up and try to get a high five from Kobe and usually get shunned, usually get that psych moment. And this happens. And then sometimes they'll actually give you the high five. Or if it's Russell Westbrook, maybe you're going to get into some kind of a verbal altercation. But Drake is on the court during timeouts. And he's standing up and he's his histrionics are absolutely designed for you to pay attention to Drake. This is the only real issue that I have with this. 
because I saw Spike Lee do this with the Knicks for many, many years. He was courtside, and of course he had that little tiff back and forth with Reggie Miller for a time. But Spike, Spike Lee was just kind of the lovable Knicks fan that was liking a team that generally wasn't competing but cared. Spike Lee's act, actually, I thought that that, that made for pretty good television. And they didn't focus on Spike Lee. That's the issue here. ESPN showed this man, or I guess I should say TNT in this case, TNT showed this man, and by this man I mean Drake, over and over again. Like every minute or two, here's Drake on the sidelines again reacting to whatever the Raptors just did. I mean, I don't care. TNT does the best coverage in all of sports with their NBA stuff. There's no doubt about it. They just won a fleet of Emmys again for inside the NBA, and they probably still didn't win enough. Whatever else that they might have been nominated for and didn't win, I'm going to go ahead and say they probably should have won. But they don't have to show Drake every 45 seconds, especially when he's courtside because you're going to see him every single time the camera pans down the floor because that's just kind of the way it is. Like you're watching the bench. He's always standing He's always bouncing up and down. I'm glad that he loves the Raptors. I'm glad he's happy for his hometown. I'm glad that Toronto's in it so he doesn't have to don some other team's jersey and wear that and hang out in the locker room and get shut down like Kentucky or whatever it might be. Maybe he's an Eagles fan this year. Maybe he's a Rams fan. Maybe he's a Patriots fan. Whatever it is, Drake has sort of been known to be that guy, sort of the Kenny Chesney fan that's a fan of everybody. But this has to stop. Like, the NBA needs to actually step in and say, hey, Drake, we know you're famous. We know you have many millions of dollars in the bank and millions of fans on Twitter. That does not mean you're part of the game. You're not part of the action. You can't be out there doing this. You can taunt. Anybody can taunt. Just because he's famous, just because he's a celebrity, doesn't mean he can't taunt people. I mean, if you buy a ticket, you can do what you want within reason. But nobody else is allowed to do the kinds of things Drake is allowed to do. It's just because he's Drake. And I understand that there are different rules, but there shouldn't be in this case. It's not like I also, it's not like I think that the regular fan is going to see this and start trying to do it himself. I'm not saying it's, it's an imitative thing or a slippery slope. I'm saying just stop Drake. Save Drake from himself. Let us either like or dislike Drake based on his talent, not based on how obnoxious he is on the sidelines at basketball games. Speaking of obnoxious, the Game of Thrones reaction continues. Sophie Turner, who played Sansa Stark, basically came out and said it's disrespectful to all of the talent on that show, behind the scenes and in front of it. The reaction, the mean things that have been said about all of them since the finale. And the actor whose name escapes me right now that played Bran did a guest column for The Hollywood Reporter laying out what the show meant to him and what brand and how that finished. I'm still trying not to spoil it for those of you that haven't seen it. I can't imagine you don't know by now. If you're close to the end, you either know. There's no way you don't know, but I'm still not going to spoil it just yet. But what it meant and why it made sense in his respect for his character to end up where his character ended up. And there have been others that have come out and said the same thing. And the fan vitriol continues. And it's just kind of... It's super obnoxious. It's Drake-level obnoxious. You were not entitled to get the ending that you wanted. There was not going to be an ending that was going to satisfy many of you. And I'm not saying you as if you're somebody that's part of this chorus. I did an hour and 10 minutes with the big lead on a podcast earlier this week, and I didn't defend Game of Thrones at all. I said I wasn't a huge fan of the finale. 
But the, the actual tweet referencing my interview said, hey, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought after talking to at Jmart Zone. It's just like, well, that's not what I said. I didn't defend it. I was just saying that there was not going to be a satisfactory way to end this series. Tim Goodman, the head critic for The Hollywood Reporter, long time, he said there was not a way that they could end a series that had this many interlocking threads and this many characters and this level of fantasy and this level of intricacy. And it's right. And so then people started asking, well, what shows actually landed the plane? Which shows that had this kind of a mythology, this level of depth, were actually able to end right? And I responded because there is a list. It's not a long list. Most of them crash and burn into the side of a mountain. But the leftovers pulled it off. Person of interest. I just named two of the most underrated series of the past 30 years on TV. Both of them have come this decade, and you should watch both of them. Fringe started a little bit slow, but once it hit, it got better year after year, and it had a perfect ending as well. Like, there have been shows that have been able to do this, and I'm just mentioning the mythology. Like, people will say Lost was terrible. I like the ending of Lost, but I won't include it in this list just because I'm in the vast minority there. The Shield had one of the best finales of all time in TV, but it wasn't one that had deep mythology. By the time we got to the end, it didn't even have that many key characters because they'd either died off or been put in jail or whatever else. But it still landed the plane. Deadwood had a pretty good ending. Six Feet Under had a good ending. Friday Night Lights had a good ending. And many of the shows that I just mentioned are ones that didn't run very long or didn't run as long as an eight-season sprawling epic like Game of Thrones. It is a very difficult thing, without question, to do. To handle something that has this level of mythology, especially when when you originally decided to adapt this book series into a show because you were such a fan of the series, you expected, as a showrunner, as D.B. Weiss or David Benioff, you expected that the book series would be finished by the time you got to where you needed it, and then it wasn't there. I can't even imagine what that was like saying, okay, well, we've got to come up with our own ending at this point. I don't think that they pulled it off, but I'm not signing a petition and I'm not going after the actors on Twitter. People need to get a life. Let's make you smarter on the way out the door. Michigan hired Jawan Howard of the Fab Five to replace John Beeline. I, I figured this would not be the case, but it is. That makes the University of Michigan the only current D1 school to have alums coaching both the football and men's hoops programs with Jim Harbaugh and Jawan Howard. No other school has that. He's the first alum, by the way, to coach at Michigan for men's hoops since Bill Frieder did it in the mid to late 80s. Global Golf Radio is next. Kepka's doing special things. I'm sure Barney Allery will have plenty on that. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night. Thank you.